Time is running out for Casty and Saya on the Pulsar Quest. Forced to team up with an unstable pair, he rushes to beat the clock, recover the Handmaid's Mirror, and make his payday. Castian, you have locked Sheeran, the former first officer of the Pulsar Quest. You have locked him in binders. What do you do next? Castian's pushing him out of the brig, and he's looking around before grabbing Sharon by the back of his collar and saying, Which way to the engine room? Sharon sighs. Follow me. Castian's pushing him forward and saying, Go! So Castian's keeping an eye out for any signs, just to make sure the man's not leading him into a dead end or any circles or, you know, just trying to run the clock out. That's going to be a perception check, and let's make it average. Can I get a blue die? Because I have that data pad of the map. Yes, I will allow it. You may have one boost die. Two successes and two threats. He is leading you to the engine room. It's just not the most direct route possible. Castian's grabbing him by the shoulder, spinning him around and pressing the blaster against his forehead and growls, If you don't help me, I will kill you where you stand. So you're just going to speed up my inevitable demise. Okay. Don't, does it not matter that these people are going to die because of something you did? Do you not care? Is your mind so destroyed by this chemical that you can't even scrounge up a hint of empathy? He just stares at you blankly. So it's impossible. I can't change your mind. Wait. Castian pauses at that and cants his head to the side. No, I can't change your mind, can I? I never had that talent. But I think I know someone who can. Castian's grabbing him by the back of the collar again, and instead of going to the engine room, they're going back to the stairs. I know what we're doing. The same flight of stairs that you came down? Yes, we're actually going back towards the ninth floor, and Castian is dragging this man as fast as he can, since they only have 52 minutes left to go on the timer. Okay, you know the way back up there. You do see signs that other people are active on the ship as you're going up. You'll see a smear of blood that wasn't there before. Doors that were closed previously are open or vice versa, but you don't actually run into any of these other people before you make it to the ninth floor. Castian dragging the man into the corpse hallway, brushes past some mannequins and some dead people on his way to the Umbaran. He's looking for where he left the Umbaran, which was next to that fake Twi'lek woman. You left him stunned there. And tied up, hogtied with a sash. As you approach him, you see his eyes flicker open. And he says, stop right there. There's no need to go any further. Make a discipline roll. Since I know what he's going to be trying to do, does that give me a blue die or no? Yes, that does. You have to be one success and two advantages. Four successes, three advantages for me. I don't know how Sharon does. Sharon stops dead in his tracks. Castian looks towards Sharon, then looks back to the Umbaran, and then he takes the restrainers on Sharon, unlocks one, and then hooks him up to a pipeline or something that seems sturdy that will keep him in place. There's a pipe. Castian walks over to the Umbaran and kneels down in front of him. Good. So you are strong enough to change someone's mind by just looking at them. It's an important skill for an artist to have to effectively communicate with their subjects. And you're not trained. This is a natural talent of yours. Everything that you see here is the result of my natural talent. <laughs> you are ruining the balance of my art. This ship's going to explode in 50 minutes, destroying your artwork from the public. No one will ever know its beauty, its horror, its delightful macabreness. That's all gone within 50 minutes because that man over there refuses to fix the engines. And Castian points towards Sharon. I bet you don't want to die, but more importantly, I bet you don't want your artwork to be never seen and forgotten. You would just be remembered for who you were before your enlightenment. But I have a feeling that you could convince him to fix what he messed up, to keep the engines from exploding, thus keeping all of this horror alive. How about you help me out and give him some motivation? Why don't you roll me negotiation? I'm flipping a point to give myself a yellow. Two successes and an advantage. I got two successes. No advantage? No advantage. Oh. I see what you're saying, but what's in it for me? What you live, you do not explode. Your life is not extinguished into the blackness of space. You make a good point. If this ship explodes... 
no one will see my grand vision. But if I stay on a disabled ship, my audience is extremely limited. I assure you, if we keep the ship from exploding, I will send many people here to help you, and they will see all the wonders of this hallway. I need to work on a grander scale. This ship, even beyond this one deck, is too small of a canvas for my art. Castian looks at his chronometer and says, Get to the point! What do you want? I want to be free to ply my trade elsewhere in the galaxy. So you want a way off this ship? Fine, I will give you passage on my vessel and I'll drop you off at the nearest port. Is that a promise? He is going to again try to persuade you to promise him that you are a man of your word. So uh, this is going to be a cool defense. So three successes and an advantage. Three successes and an advantage. Okay, this is what he'll get from me. Castian will say, absolutely. Agreed. Promise. He knows Castian will probably fight that promise until the very end. Like, he might have gotten Castian to say the words, I promise, but there's no way in hell Castian would actually go through with this. Yes, you're essentially going to act in good faith up until the time comes to put this guy on your ship, and then you're going to try to fight it. Yes, And he knows that, but that's good enough for now. He's pretty confident he can persuade you by the time it comes to escape. Deal. With that, Cassian's reaching out and slicing the sash with a vibro knife. He shakes his hands out, taking his time. 46 minutes and counting. You cut off the blood flow to one of my most important tools. These are artists' hands. Without them, I am nothing. Cassian just reaches over to that Twi'lek that was slumped in the seat and just tips her over onto the ground and says, Oops, I'm very clumsy when I wait. So get moving. Well, I'm going over to the family portrait and drawing a mustache on the mom. Fine. And the Umbaran goes over to Sheeran, and they have a very quiet conversation for a minute. Do you try to listen? Oh, yeah. Castian's Castian's going to try to listen in. He's not leaving the psychos to have a private powwow together. Give me a stealth roll to see if you can eavesdrop without either of them stopping the conversation. A success and an advantage. You're able to edge close enough to overhear them. And you hear the Umbaran making a very logical case for why Sheeran should go down to the engine room and fix his mistake. Sheeran looks slightly slack-jawed as he is taking in the Umbaran's argument, but after a minute, he just nods and looks back at you. Why are we here? We need to be in the engine room. Great, let's do that. I go over to Sharon, release him from the restrainers. I actually take him off the restrainers because we need to start running, and then I look towards the Umbaran and say, You will be coming with us, I take it? Of course. Then let's go, both of you ahead of me. Sharon, take us to the engine room immediately, fastest course possible. Do you want the fastest course or the safest course? We need to do the fastest. We don't have time for the safest. As you wish. The main performing arts venue, it has an elevator that goes directly to the cargo hold. We can bypass four decks of the ship just in one lift. Let's go then. It sounds like we're going to the theater. And yeah, Castian is pushing them to start running because they have a lot to do in a very short amount of time. Sheeran leads you and the Umbaran down two decks. You are on deck nine, so he bypasses deck eight and takes you down to deck seven, which is the same deck you first entered the Pulsar quest on. You are still in the aft of the ship as those are the clearest stairs for him to take you down. So you come out on deck seven towards the back. To your left, you can see the grand main dining room. The doors are open, but you can't see much inside of it because there is a giant barricade of tables and chairs forced into the doorway. Luckily, Sheeran doesn't want to take you for a dinner. He wants to take you to a show. So he starts running towards the fore of the ship. Much of this is open seating areas until you reach the atrium where you first came on board which is still covered in dried, sticky blood, has all of that glassware shattered everywhere. And, of course, you also pass the corpse of the woman that threw herself off of Deck 8 into the center of this atrium. Sheeran doesn't blink at any of it, just dashes forward. Until he reaches the main stage. As he approaches the door, the hologram of the Twilight Woman appears again. 
please wait to enter. Performance in progress. And Sheeran turns back to you. We're unfortunately barred from entering. Do you have a way to bypass it? You've had so much fun getting throughout the rest of the ship. Castian pulls out the captain's implant that's in that little plastic container, holds it in front of the scanner. Welcome, Captain. And then puts it away and then waves Sharon to go through the doors. The doors to the auditorium open. As you step in, you hear music blaring out. It's an opera. And as you walk in, you see that this is a two-story performance hall designed to seat at least 600 people. It's a very modern performance space with luxe dark purple velvet curtains up on the stage. There's also a full orchestra pit that is fortunately perhaps empty right now. As you walk in to the main aisle, you can see that the seats are upholstered in the same dark velvet fabric as the curtains on the stage. About half of the seats on this level are filled. With dead bodies, of course. Some of them are bloodied corpses, while others, it looks like, were tied in place while they were still alive. Their only injuries are their wrists, where you can see they've been bloodied under their bindings as they tried to escape their fate. On the stage, a Zeltron man is performing an opera. He has dark red skin and bright blue hair with a streak of white through it. He's heavily, almost grotesquely made up in stage makeup. You can see, even from where you are in the back, that the makeup cakiness face is just way over the top. There are droids in the background on the stage, filling the background roles, while other positions are filled with propped-up corpses, following in the same milieu as your Umbaran artist friend. They're awkwardly costumed and just tied to the scenery. Do we have to go through the stage to get to the elevator? Yes. Damn it. He's been performing this for four days straight. I don't think he's taken a break in all that time. As you stand in the back of the theater, contemplating the best way to make it forward, you realize, Castian, that this opera is actually a familiar one to you. You've never actually seen it performed, but being a member of the Inquisition did bring with it a certain amount of cultural cachet. You were expected to be a fairly well-cultured person in, in several respects. Especially of Tremaine. Tremaine's very cultured. He would never allow his right hand not to know an opera or a painting. <laughs> and this is an opera that is certainly not performed on Coruscant. It's not really performed anywhere in the core worlds because it's a little bit of a political faux pas. The story is a little politically fraught as it tells the story of a princess who was in love with an older man but was tricked by evil forces to marry a boring but more age-appropriate match. It does not speak well of the Nabooian aristocracy. He's singing? Yes, yes. It appears that this man has cast himself in all of the lead roles. So he is performing every part of the opera. Cassian looks towards Sharon. How long has he been performing? Four days, give or take. Cassian looks back. This play's only supposed to be a couple hours long. He's been stuck on this song. Castian's going to see if he knows the song that's being sung. I've never seen this show, but I've studied the operas. So what am I rolling? Is it Core World? Yes. We're going to make this hard. Three successes, two threats. All right. You do know this song, Castian, but this man is singing it in a way higher key. Castian mumbles, that's because he's trying to sing both parts. He's singing the older gentleman's, which is clearly out of his range, and the younger gentleman, which he's probably more prone to do. Okay, let's get through this song. Castian's looking towards the Umbaran and says, Remember our deal. Follow me when I give you the go-ahead, and make sure he follows along. I'm pointing towards Sharon. The Umbaran nods. And Castian's going to approach the stage and start belting out the older gentleman's part of this opera. Castian's going to sing one part, this guy's going to sing the other, so hopefully this Zeltron will finally get unstuck from singing this. Make this a charm check. We're going to make this hard again. Castian's going to be flipping a destiny point in order to get a yellow. Castian has three threats, one success, and one triumph. (laughs) As the Zeltron reaches the part of the song that you know is going to be the hardest for him to reach, your voice cuts through the silence of the theater, crystal clear. The acoustics here are beautiful, even from the back of the auditorium. 
Castian begins singing. Hold my hand and squeeze me tight. Oh, Nobu on a Nobu in night. Omti is the one and you can be. You look at me on the Crespian Sea and I do want and I do see of cherry trees on Nobu. And the Zeltron just stops singing for a moment. And at first, rage flashes across his face. And you have a moment where you think that you made the wrong gamble. But you keep singing. And his face softens. And he joins back in, completing the duet. He holds out a hand to you, beckoning you towards the stage. Castian looks at the time, mumbles, okay, and he continues on. He grabs your hand, helping you up onto the stage, and continues singing the duet. Which, of course, it does eventually become a trio. And so he still has to juggle two parts as he is playing both the younger man and the Nabooian princess. And as he sings, this man could be a phenomenal actor. Or, as you say these words of passion and declaring your love for the princess, he doesn't think you're acting. And he might not be acting either. Love is blossoming on the stage amidst all of this horror and gore. Because let's remember, you are in the middle of an auditorium where the entire audience is dead. And many of the background quote-unquote actors are dead as well. Under the hot stage lights, this does not smell good at all. During one of the man's parts, Cassian's going to turn away acting like, No, I cannot follow my heart. And then he's going to contact Laris. Laris. Yes, sir. Uh, the theater. I'm sure the theater has some sort of applause loaded into the speakers. I need you to activate that in about two or three more bars. I do not know if I have access to such a tertiary system, sir. I assure you this is very important. See if you can make it happen. Let's see if Laris can pull it off. And you know what? To give you back a destiny point, I will upgrade one of Laris's dice. She does it. She gets two successes and a threat. So you asked her to give you two more bars. The two bars pass. No applause comes. There's a nice awkward pause as Castian waits for the applause, looks towards the man, might see that rage building. Castian swoops the man into his arms and just plants a kiss on him. And that's when the applause comes in. And Castian pulls away, and they're both doing a big bow towards the audience. The Zeltron man is definitely holding onto your hand very tightly as you both make your grand bow. And I'm going to flip this destiny point that I just got. This is intermission. The curtains start closing. And Castian's waving the other two men to come forward. They do. And then Castian is going to give the Zeltron one more bow and says, All right, intermission. 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Ah, and here comes the stage crew. They'll be cleaning up this. Uh, Please uh, get ready for the next scene. It's very important. And oh, your makeup looks stellar. But make sure to change that costume up. Tell me. Friend, why haven't I seen you before? What has kept you away from me for so long? I should have gotten the role of Canabra, and unfortunately I did not, but no one told me that the person who was playing him died and you had to take on all the roles. So as the understudy, you can imagine how embarrassed I was. So I immediately ran down here just in time to make... I would say, a marvelous performance between the two of us. So I do apologize. You know how shit politics can be, you know, actors and stage crew not doing their jobs, just enjoying the fancy life of the Pulsar Quest instead of truly focusing on what matters, the artistic talent that we are displaying on stage. I couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, with everybody laying around and not doing their job, that means everybody has to do double duty. You, of course, are taking up all the roles, you poor man. How about you get some water for your throat right now? And I and the remaining crew will go downstairs and get the props for, oh, God, Act 2 is coming up very soon, isn't it? It is. It is. I need one more charm roll to keep him from wanting to follow you like a puppy dog. Three successes and two threats. Yes, yes, can't be late, can't be late. I will see you soon. And he grabs your hand and just gives it a long squeeze before letting go. Castian just stands there on the stage, nodding as the man walks off before finally seeing him turn around the curtain and move off towards the dressing rooms. And then Castian's looking back towards Sharon and the Embaran. All right, gentlemen, let's move, let's move. 
Curtains in five. Sheeran leads you backstage to the oversized lift that they use for moving set pieces from the cargo hold into the stage. They get into the lift and Castian leans back, wiping his lips on his sleeve before sending the lift down to the cargo hold. There is a screeching sound as the lift activates. And you hear from the other side of the stage a panicked scream as the Zeltron realizes that his leading man is leaving. The lift, because it's so large, moves excruciatingly slowly. So you can see the Zeltron come running through the backstage again, a mask of rage on his face. Let's see if he can make it onto the lift. I'll spend a destiny point because I want to give this poor man a chance to upgrade his die. And with two successes, he dives into the lift, his hands outstretched as he kind of has to slither in on his stomach to make it in before the lift disappears below the stage floor. Castian pulls this man in just as his legs are about to be crushed by the elevator. I told you we were getting the props. You were going to abandon me just like everyone else, and he is going to try to strangle you. Castian just pulls out his blaster and fires a couple stun bolts into him. And it takes more stun bolts than you would think are required, but he does go down, slumping against the side of the lift. Uh, Oddly enough, this is how most of my romances end, he says as he holsters his blaster and just kind of crosses his arm and stares at the door in front of him. The Umbaran tense his fingers and kind of taps his fingers against each other as he hears this. Star-crossed lovers be an interesting inspiration for my next portrait. After we fix the engines. Of course. You are watching the minutes tick away on your chronometer as this lift goes down through the depths of the ship. You're down to about 30 minutes. Laris would most likely have a more accurate estimate for you, but you've you've bothered her enough. So 30 minutes is the best estimate that you have. And you reach the cargo bay. What do you do with the Zeltron? Do you leave him there in the lift? Since I took my restrainers off Sharon, I'm going to keep the Zeltron restrained to like a handrail in the elevator. Mm-hmm. I'm restraining him and sending him back to the stage. So you, Sharon, and the Umbaran disembark from the elevator. The elevator is in the fore of the ship. I'll just remind you that Laris did say that Bartholomew Starlin's gear would have been in the fore of the cargo bay. Castian pauses as he sees where Starlin's luggage could possibly be before shaking his head and mumbles, I'll get it later. And he's going to keep on ushering everybody to get to the engine room. For now, he's not going for the handmaid's mirror. There's not enough time. And Sheeran leads you back to the stairs at the fore of the ship. Those access stairs that you were using earlier. He leads you back to them and down you go. Two more decks to deck one, the engine room. Now, you are going to repair everything and stop the engines from exploding, yes? Sheeran casts a look at the Umbaran before he nods. And he approaches the door and he holds up his wrist to the security keypad. It lights up green and the door slides open. And Castian's pushing him forward. All of you go into the engine room. Castian, you've never been on a ship exactly like this before. But you've been on a lot of ships. And you notice immediately, before you can even look at the engines or anything else that is set up down here, this engine room is too hot. Whatever Sheeran did, whether it was from that initial hyperspace jump or some of the sabotage that he did has caused the engines to start to literally overheat, and it's flooding this deck with the excess thermal energy. Castian wipes his hand across his brow before looking towards Sharon. Okay, what first? What do we need to do? I'm going to need some tools. They're, um, a bit scattered at the moment, and he holds out his hands helplessly, and you look around the floor of the engine room and see parts strewn everywhere. Parts of the engines, parts from repair kits, parts from medical kits. He'd obviously brought some materials down from other decks and just flung them into the chaos as well. Trying to make sense of any of Sheeran's actions, trying to impose a logic upon it, is a way to drive you mad. I might need a little help collecting them. Fine, tell me what tool you need and I will find it. You just get started on the repairs on what you can do without them. All right. And Castian is going to go around hunting for any tool that he needs. Give me a mechanics roll. And difficulty? 
will make it average, but I'm going to spend a destiny point to upgrade one of those. So one of those purple dice becomes a red challenge die. Three successes, but one threat. Not bad. Shearing begins work on the engines. But it's a little bit like watching someone with ADD trying to get through their to-do list, where as soon as you start on one thing, it reminds you, oh, wait, I'm also supposed to work on this other thing. So he's bouncing from engine to engine, from computer screen to computer screen, as he can't seem to quite focus on any one thing. Every time you bring him a tool, it reminds him, oh, this goes with the aft engine array. And you bring him another one, which reminds him that the plasma conduits also need to be worked on. So he needs something to help him focus. Correct. Castian's dropping down to the medical kits on the floor, and he's looking for space Adderall. Castian is going to spend a destiny point in order to find a stimulant that kind of helps a person focus on a task. Yes, you find it. And by spending a destiny point, I'm not even going to throw in any complications. Castian just walks up behind him, presses the injector to the man's throat, and releases the chemical. Sheeran turns to you, baring his teeth as he feels you press the injector against his neck. What are you doing? Helping you focus. What do you need to do next? Come on, Sharon. We don't have much time. The fuel relays. The fuel relays. They're leaking. The heat. The heat is going to cause them to ignite. Okay, how do we turn down the heat? Or how do we get rid of the oil? Sharon, we don't have a lot of time. I don't need explanations on what's going wrong. Just tell me what to fix. As you are trying to get him to focus... He is, in fact, focused, so he actually has tuned you out, and he has wandered away halfway down the engine room. I turn towards the Ambaran, stay, and he turns back towards Sharon, and he's just, like, following after him. You find Sharon forcing off a panel on the wall. This panel is giant, and in no way should one person be able to move it, but Sharon does. He manages to force his fingers into the gaps in the wall, and peel it back like a tin can. Casting takes a step back. And when Sheeran pulls back this panel, you see the fuel lines, which have been cut and are dripping fuel all throughout this interior access way. Sheeran holds out his hand, hyperspanner. Hands it to him. And he begins the meticulous work of knitting these fuel lines back together. Castian's done stuff like this before. Can he help? Can he assist in any way to give him a blue dice in order to help him try to do this as quickly as possible? Yes, you can. With one success, the fuel lines are able to be knit back together, which stops the leak, of course, but doesn't do anything to address the problem of all of the oil that has already been released. That should do it, Sheeran says as he backs away slowly. That should do it. The engines won't overload. But the heat has already built up. What does that mean? This is still, and he points at the leaking oil, a fire hazard. How can we clean all this? Is there uh, some sort of protocol we can run? Is there some sort of cleaning agent that we can put down? Is there something that we can open and suck everything out into space? Sheeran is thinking, but you can see his eyes starting to to dart back and forth very quickly, which was similar to the expression that he had on his face before you gave him the injection. Whatever you gave him is wearing off. He's losing his ability to focus. The Umbaran, however, saunters over towards you. The cargo bay doors. What about it? The cargo bay doors are only two decks above us. They open directly into space. You would lose all of the cargo, of course. I think that many of our esteemed passengers wouldn't appreciate that. But it would vent the heat. Provided that there is an exhaust port that goes from here to the third deck. Cassian looks towards Sharon. What do I have to do to open up the doors on the cargo hold? The office is across from the brig. They would have the controls. So I opened up the cargo bay doors, and that just works? Then the exhaust flies up on its own? I'll need to redirect, and you see Sheeran's brow furrow. Why would I redirect the exhaust ports? Why am I even down here? What did you do? Castian looks towards the Umbaran. The Umbaran looks at you. Remember your promise, he says before he turns to Sheeran and reminds him. It's in all of our best interests, if you vent the heat as we want. And Sheeran again goes a little blank for a moment before he nods and he turns to the control panel, ready to work. 
Will you be able to detect when I open up the doors? Yes, there is an alarm that will go off. Great. Expect that to happen in in 12 minutes at least. And Castian takes off running. And he turns, spins, and points to the Umbar. And you watch him and our deal. And then he's turning back and he's running up the stairs towards the third floor. And Castian is going to be booking it towards the cargo hold, hoping he can get there in time to start looking desperately for Starlin's luggage. Okay. Castian, he is char- he starts running across this massive storage area before pausing and says, I'm never going to make it in time. Then he turns his head, looks, and he sees a swoop bike. I'm going to flip a destiny point, and he sees where some of the nobles and some of the rich people keep their vehicles. And he sees there is a swoop bike, a very nice swoop bike, just waiting there for him. Yes, I'll allow it. Cutscene to Castian flying through the luggage hold on the swoop bike. Wind in his hair, trying to get to this luggage area. Remember, he actually found the storage locker number when he looked through the files. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to get to that locker number immediately, or that storage number immediately. All right. You found the bike, and you certainly do know how to drive it, but these are some extenuating circumstances, so let's roll for it. Give me a planetary piloting roll. This will be an average difficulty, but take a setback die because of the tight quarters you're navigating through. One success and one threat. As you take a couple of tight turns, you start knocking over trunks and valises and other vehicles in your desperation to get to the correct storage area. So your path back is going to be a bit obscured. You might have to find a different way because the swoop bike may not be able to navigate over these obstructions, but you're able to get to the correct place. So is it like a storage bin? Is it a luggage holder? What is it? It's like a cubicle. Like an office cubicle. Castian dives right in and starts tearing this entire cubicle apart, looking for any sign of a mirror. Okay. Give me a perception roll. Hard. One threat. Just one threat. It's not there. You pull apart this cubicle. It's not there. I look back towards the time. Five minutes. Castian, uh, I don't know, he goes over to the swoop bike and kicks it in frustration. As you kick it, you hear something rattle. This is a very well-made machine. A kick should not break it. This is Starling's swoop. Yeah, of course. Who else would have a swoop bike? He's a swoop bike driver. Yes. Castian's going to start tearing this machine, like the panels off to try to find the secret compartment. And you find the secret compartment with the handmaid's mirror. (laughs) Castian pockets the mirror before holding up his hands in victory. Two minutes. Two minutes, cool. I, I can make that. Castian turns on the bike and he's going to take off. Well, you go to the ignition, but nothing happens. You tore apart this bike looking for the storage compartment. Oh, no, 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 no. Castian slaps the side of the bike before looking at his chronometer again. And then he just stands up and he is going to be running. He's going to be using the force to book it as fast as he can towards where the cargo bay control office is. So you are in the fore of the ship. The offices where the control is, is in the aft of the ship. This is an extremely large ship. Its silhouette for reference is seven. I think the Howling Gundark's silhouette is a two or a three. So we're talking a very large, very long ship for you to try to get across. And Castian's running. Castian is running as fast as his little hands can take him, and he's using the force, whatever he can do to get there as quickly as possible. So what is the, how hard is this? In order to make it in the two-minute timeline that you have, this is going to be a formidable task. This is five difficulty. I'm going to flip a destiny point in order to advance my, one of my greens into a yellow. And I'm rolling. One success, four threats, one light side point, and I got my triumph. All right. I want to use the force, but I can't. I can't use the force because I got a light side point and I don't have any destiny points to flip. So Castian is just running and using his natural gifts to make it, I guess. Castian, as you start to run and you're so cognizant of how limited your time is, you try to call on the force. And for some reason in your panic, you can't get to that focus that you need. You're beginning to panic as your chronometer actually starts to beep with the passing seconds. And you're just running, looking around, trying to figure out what can you do. And you see the crane that they use for bringing in some of their larger cargo. 
If you hop up a couple of cubicles and some of the larger oversized luggage that they have poking at the top, you're able to hop, skip, and jump and grab the crane and use it to swing you across much of this cargo bay. As you swing across the cargo bay, you reach the other side and you drop, but from an extremely high height. So please take four strain because of all of those threats as you hit the ground of the cargo bay extremely hard, it reverberating up through your ankles and your knees, hurting your joints. Castian stumbles into the office um, as his chronometer is still beeping away, telling him that it is like five, four, three, two. And Castian's quickly trying to activate the cargo bay doors using the override of the captain's implant if he has to. It's a buzzer beater. But you make it. Slaps down on the giant red button. Three huge cargo bay doors open very slowly, way too slowly for your comfort. And you begin to feel the rush of all of the air being sucked out. Everything that isn't nailed down is being sucked out of the cargo bay. The door to the office begins to rattle, as this office was not built to withstand the forces of the vacuum of space. Give me an athletics roll. As the air is beginning to be sucked out from under the door, and that door is rattling, you're not sure how long it's going to last. You even feel yourself be pulled forward a couple of inches. Difficulty? Hard. Two successes, three threats. With the two successes, Castian, you're able to brace yourself against the computer console. It's built into the ship, so it's not going anywhere, though a couple of panels are pulled off. So you brace yourself against that. But with those three threats, I'm actually going to have you take a wound from the flying debris and just the effects of a very slow decompression. As you are bracing yourself and gasping for air, you look out into the cargo bay, which is nearly empty at this point. Just a few last heavy objects are being dragged across the deck plating, and you see the air begin to shimmer as intense heat is just blasting through the now empty cargo bay. And you watch for about a minute. All the while, the air is being sucked from the room. You're beginning to gasp. Give me a resilience check. Average difficulty with a setback die because literally the oxygen is being sucked from the room. One success. Ooh. So even as the oxygen is being depleted, you're able to stay conscious as you see the air ripple with all that heat and then grow still. Castian reaches out with a shaken hand and slaps it down onto the cargo bay door button. And the doors... Slowly, it seems way slower than how they opened, or that could just be an effect of the oxygen deprivation. Finally, close. Castian falls to the ground, uh, gasping for air as the air recyclers start up again. If they restart up again, the air recirculators do start back up again. Castian takes a deep breath, rolls onto his back, and then just mumbles, I hate cruises. And then he reaches into his pocket and pulls out that handmaid's mirror, Mm -hmm. just examining it for any signs of damage. There's some general wear and tear on it because this is an old artifact. So the silver handle is very tarnished. There's some scratches on the back. Even the mirror itself has a couple of small scratches around the edge of the frame. But there's no new damage. You managed to get it through this ordeal intact. Laris, do you read? Yes, sir. Did we succeed? Are the engines cooled off enough? Yes, the engines have cooled. We are no longer at risk of an overload. However, I do not believe they are operational. That's fine, Laris. That's fine. I have succeeded at patching the computer through to the Howling Gundark. Great, we could probably use their long-distance communication device to send out a message that way, then have someone find them and get help. I need you to find a way to, I don't know, knock everybody out here once we get back on their ship, so at least they're sleeping when people come aboard. I will see what resources we have available. Thank you. I have to go find our guests downstairs and make sure they're not damaging anything else. Understood. And Castian is moving back downstairs. When you reach the engine room, it's very quiet. Too quiet. Castian scrowls before pulling out his blaster and mumbling, What excitement am I going to find down here now? Sharon? Umbari? Should have gotten your name, I suppose. It was quite rude. Castian turns around towards wherever that voice is coming from. It's shadowy in the engine room. 
and you once again have lost track of where the Umbaran is. The voice seems to come from everywhere and nowhere. Oh, this again. Oh, boy. You've been quite the muse, friend. Oh, good. So how about you come out this way and I'll take your picture, he says as he holds up his blaster this time. Not before I put the finishing touches on my masterpiece. Castian frowns, and uh, now he is activating his wrist flashlight and flashing around trying to find what's going on. As you search through the engine room, you approach the console where Sheeran had been working, and you see a large pool of blood. And as you pan your light around, you see Sheeran, quite dead. His hair, which was blonde and very shaggy when you met him, has been cut very hastily with a, a blunt knife, but it's very short on the sides and longer on the top. It was blonde, and now it has been dipped in oil, becoming a dark black, very similar to your own hairstyle, Castian. He's been pinned to the wall, one hand raised, with a tool in it. The tool has been bent and misshapen, so you can't recognize what it originally was, but you can tell what it's supposed to replicate. The same blaster that you are holding in your hand right now. Well, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I thought you would like it. He drops down behind you. Castian spins. Let's roll cool. You walked into this situation knowing that something creepy could happen. Two advantages. I got one advantage and two successes and a triumph. With that triumph, as you turn around, the Umbaran is almost able to anticipate your move and grabs your hand that's holding the blaster, just pinching your wrist, forcing you to release the blaster to the floor. And then, on top of that, he's going to attack. So he gets one success and one threat. The Umbaran is trying to force your arm down, and you can tell that he is more than willing to break it or even wrench it from your shoulder. And after seeing the strength that Sheeran displayed earlier... You know that it's entirely possible for these people to develop that sort of strength. But with just one success, nothing is going to actually break. That is going to be three strain damage. Castian soaks that. With his free hand, Castian's going to drop it down to his belt. And while he's tried to avoid killing people, now it's kind of a fight to the death, it feels like. So Castian's pulling out a vibro knife and slashing at the guy. Okay. One success and four advantages. My crit is two. Oh, wow. I rolled a 65 uh, with my Vicious for critical hit. 65 is slightly dazed. He is disoriented until the end of the encounter. So your Vibro Knife cuts into his chest, slicing through that shadow cloak that you'd been admiring earlier. And he falls backward, taking four damage. I suppose we both realized that I wasn't letting you off the ship. And now I'm not going to let you off the ship. And he bends down quickly and grabs your blaster and is going to shoot at you. So he failed that roll, but he did get one advantage. So I'm going to give you a setback die as the blaster shot goes wide because he's disoriented, but it's also setting you on the wrong footing. Castian stumbles away, growls, then just dives to the man trying to knife him once more. Okay. One failure, two advantages. You slash at him and he once again dodges out of the way. He's also going to be with an additional setback die for his next roll. As the Umbaran stumbles backwards, he actually begins to slip on that fuel oil that had been leaking earlier. And you see the light bulb go off over his head as he takes that blaster which had been aimed in your direction and is instead aiming it at the floor, where you realize the oil is not only under his feet, but it's under yours as well. I think it's time that I begin to work in a new medium, he says, as he points the blaster down and fires at this oil slick, which immediately catches with the heat of the blaster. Since he was pointing it at his own feet, he's immediately engulfed in flames. He's taking a lot of fire damage right now because he not only got one success, but he got two threats. The fire is just beginning to lick at your feet, so take three wounds. Castian screams like, no, as he shoots down and watches as the flames first ignite the Umbaran and then come towards him. And just as that flame starts to lick at Castian's boots, Castian's going to launch himself up. And as the entire floor catches on fire from all this gas, Castian's going to grab onto Sharon's dead body that's, you said, pinned to the wall mm -hmm. and hold himself up. Give me an athletics roll. Two successes, one triumph, and one threat. You've jumped up so that 
your feet are actually balanced on the knives that were pinning him into the wall to hold you up high enough above the flames. But as those flames are licking at the soles of your boots, they melt a little bit. Take one strain as your feet are beginning to be very, very hot. And as you did have a triumph, I'll also say as you're climbing up Sheeran, your hand closes around a lump just under his armpit. A shoulder holster for a holdout blaster. Sneaky, sneaky, Castian says as he's reaching for it. The Umbaran is still on fire, but is also still alive. He laughs as he sees you climbing up Sheeran's corpse. <laughs> I thought you appreciated the finer arts. And he's going to shoot at you for seven damage. He switched off the stun setting, so these are coming at you as wound. The fire has climbed up from his ankles to his knees to his hips and is beginning to lick at his torso while he still stands laughing as he takes blaster shots at you. Casting gets hit and slumps forward and then he just spins around and has the holdout blaster in his hand then says, Art is dead and fires. Two successes. And that does seven damage with the holdout blaster. So the holdout blaster bolt hits him just above where the fire is. You see a dark singe mark in his chest. That holdout blaster was not set to stun. Not that this guy is going to be long for this world anyway, stun setting or not, because you barely have a moment to register that dark singe mark before the fire crawls farther up his chest, over his shoulders, and up his neck. And all the while that the fire is consuming him, he laughs. The Umbaran finally collapses with a smile on his face. Castian is coughing up as the smoke is clearly starting to rise, and he feels very dizzy, and he, and he wants to try to get out of this and try to jump out of the way as the flames continue to rise and spread as the oil was everywhere. But he's very confused right now as he's inhaled a lot of smoke, and he's in a lot of pain. So the best he can come up with is just holding on to Sharon. And the next voice you hear seems to come from very far away. It's Laris. Sir, I'm detecting an increase in temperature in the engine room. Fire! It's a fire! (coughs) Would you like me to activate the fire suppression system? Oh god, yes, yes! Activating now. A white foam begins to cover the floor. And then you realize it's also coming down from above as you look up and you can see little nozzles have appeared in the walls, all of which are unleashing a white fire suppressant foam. It is covering all of the equipment. It is covering the floor, smothering the fire. It's also covering you. Castian just kind of sits there indignant as he's being covered in white foam. Finally, after a minute, he just drops down, lands on his feet, but slips and then just collapses onto the ground. And a second later, Sharon's body falls down on top of him. And Cassian is just laying there as the camera is facing down at him. An adventure awaits me on the Pulsar quest. And we smash cut to the Howling Gundark. Cassian, you climb back onto the ship looking like you have crawled out of the depths of hell. Cassian's wiping off his face with a, a towel that he picked up and tosses it to the side. Skidder! Bone! The two droids approach. Is Laris here yet? I have just arrived, sir. Laris enters behind you. (sighs) She looks much better than the last time you saw her. She seems fully recovered. Excellent. Were you able to find a way to neutralize everyone on the ship? Yes, I was able to find a security subroutine. It is standard operating procedure on these ships to have a way to neutralize large groups, just in case. And you started that process? Correct. There is large quantities of a sedative gas being pumped through the air circulation systems currently. Good. That'll put everyone out for a while, which means we need to get the ship somewhere where they could be found. No, that's not going to work. The engines are all out, so I need to send someone here. Um... I know who to contact. Uh, Laris, we can use the Pulsar's long-distance communicator, correct? Correct, sir. Everything is patched through to the bridge. Excellent. I'll just secure the door, make sure none of that gas leaks into the ship. I'll be on the bridge sending the signal out. Yes, sir. And Castian's moving to uh, the bridge, and he's going to sit down, and he's actually going to contact Anami Gartan. That was that doctor that my parents knew on Lamared. And she was helpful to you not too long ago. You put the communication through, and she answers. Castian. Hi. You 
don't look well. I thought that you had found answers. I thought that you were on the mend. I am. I am. And I'll make this brief. Um, I was out on a job and there was a luxury liner that we found drifting in space. And apparently at the spa, their Mustafarian volcanic rocks, they didn't scan it for trilum gas. Castian is sending her information mm-hmm. on trilum gas just in case she doesn't know. It was a madhouse. These people are insane. I was able to neutralize all of them using some riot suppression system, but they are going to need help. I don't know what help you can give them since there's no known cure, but I need you to send somebody there. Your friends that I met, by the way, aren't very nice, but you could send them or you can get word out to the Empire or just go through the passenger manifest that I'm sending now, find one of the noble families and leak the information to them, but... They need help. All of them. A lot of them are dead, but there are some alive still. You see that Anami is looking at a computer readout, presumably at the information that you've just sent her. Castian, you're on the opposite side of the galaxy from us. Not to mention, there is no known cure, not even a treatment for Trilon gas poisoning. Someone told me once that you'd be surprised what somebody can bounce back from. Listen, I... I don't know what to do. I could leave them out here to die, but that did not seem right. So I'm contacting you. And I'm not even asking for you to do anything other than pass this information on to the right people. Please. Your parents would be proud of you. Castian looks away. I'll see what I can do, Castian. Anami hesitates for a second before adding, Actually, Castian, I've been trying to get a hold of you for some time. Something's happened. I wanted to tell you earlier, but I had no way of contacting you. You've done a very good job of hiding. Lala is dead. What? What happened? I don't know all the details, but I believe she was murdered. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fandible Solo Shot Star Wars Force and Destiny. Please follow Solo Shot Podcast and Fandible on Twitter, and please share this episode on social media. You can also leave a review for Fandible on iTunes or your podchaser of choice to help others find us and enjoy games like this one. You can also find us on Patreon if you want to make a donation to help keep our equipment up and running. But most importantly, always remember, may the Force be with you.